Hey, this is James Fitzgerald. Welcome to the Big Dogs Podcast. I think it's episode 35, and I think inside of here, Anchor, we have 594 listeners now, um, with 49,500, I think it said downloads. <clears throat> Just going to continue giving the update. You know, we're climbing the ranks. Uh, today's topic is on uh, something that uh, I discussed with the Big Dogs coaches the other day on uh, fatigue with inside of Mixed Modal. And... I proposed many years ago a concept of just a new way of looking at maybe this concept of fatigue as to how it sits inside a mixed model um, and the, the uh, if not obvious, differences between previous models of fatigue largely based upon a cyclical lab uh, model of endurance. Um, and uh, I wanted to share that with everyone. Um, the, you know, you, I always felt too that if you wanted to figure out um, not the answers to training for mixed modal, um, but uh, just uh, for the coach or the person who's participating to have just better things to go off, um, to move you forward. You probably do want to look deep into fatigue. Um, and when you go digging deep into uh, fatigue and evidence of fatigue inside of the laboratory or academic setting or what has been studied on fatigue, um, it's largely in a cyclical model of endurance. Um, and uh, we've got a lot of benefits from studying that for many years, uh, but the fact remains that mixed modal um, is not the same kind of contractions. Um, it's not the same kind of intentions, and it's a completely different dose response. Um, therefore, um, you could use the scaffolding and heuristics that are built from previous fatigue models um, inside of endurance um, as a base support, um, but they, they end there. Um, and I believe there's still 40, 50 years more work to be done on this, whether it's of interest or not over time, um, to be done on this concept. And maybe, you know, some of the things that I've thought about and I'll share with you today, um, could be, uh, a stepping stone for people who may want to investigate a little further. Um, but that's where I always thought study fatigue certainly help you. Um, the idea behind it today is to help in, get insight into best training practices. That's why we discuss it with the big dogs coaches because um, they're looking to improve their clients all the time. So, you know, by you understanding these nine limitations, um, it'll make you chew on a couple of them. It may, may be argumentative for some, and that's all good because the conversation will last. Um, and then lastly, uh, or secondly, I guess, why I'm doing this is uh, to increase the continued effort to upgrade the concepts of fatigue, because uh, I think we really need to do that. Um, some assumptions before I get going. Uh, you have to remember that all fatigue limitations, all uh, one or a number of them out of nine, they're all interchangeable and all interdisciplinary. Um, and that explains it entirely. There's, there's also no hierarch hierarchy in limitations. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, there's no hierarchy in limitations. I apologize if that hurt people's ears. Um, I.e. one being better than the other. Um, remember that these are all observational and empirical based uh, from 15, um, oh, plus 15 plus years now of looking at mixed modal and fatigue. Um, remember these are metabolic limitations, not mechanical limitations. And remember that the athlete's cognition and perception, um, intelligence, awareness plays a role um, in this. 
the first is respiration. And, and uh, as an upgrade to that, maybe it's, it should be called respiration rate or the concepts around respiration because respiration as a fatigue limitation within the sport um, is really where the ventilatory rate is not in control. That's essentially how it shows up as a limitation. Um, we see this as an example when there's varied contractions within mixed modal, uh, where people have to move very quickly between different kinds of contractions and various contraction scenarios, um, or major posture changes. Um, and those are not only the two, but you can see that happen when people have to go from um, these, let's just call it low load, very easy contractions to high load contractions and uh, breath um, could actually become a limiter um, and the skill of breath can become a limiter for people. It doesn't mean there's not other limiters, it's just that that could be a limitation. Um, a fix for respiration could be bilateral swimming or progressive overload of uh, specifically breath as a skill with high ventilatory, high ventilatory rate stuff with low lactate scores. Um, and you really can make a dent by uh, the example of swimming because it has controlled scenarios of breathing in a low, um, low eccentric environment. So it allows you to just focus on the lungs basically and ventilatory rate of a controlled setting. And then of course always the progressive overload um, that you can do with people. So get them to a high breath rate, uh, high uh, ventilatory rate, but make sure there's low lactate involved and just keep making that more challenging over time and that limiter may be improved. Number two is skill acquisition. What it is really, um, how it comes up is skill transition issues um, in mixed modal work. That's how we describe it as what it is. Example would be, you know, someone takes weeks and weeks to learn pacing and strategy for a known event that's coming up. Um, and it's, it's really an, I don't want to classify it inside of this, but there's, there's a deep athleticism word that's inside of skill acquisition and the limitation of that. Some people just will take a lot longer to acquire those skills. Um, and more recently, you know, this has been shown in evidence for, you know, discovering around brain neurons that, you know, some people just have the capability to, um, learn skills at a faster rate and, and, uh, and make those brain neurons and brain cells work more effectively and adapt faster. And sometimes even in skill acquisition, that can, this can be apparent. So the fix for this, if it's a limitation for people, um, is individualized programs. Um, templated programs or just doing anything or random shit is not going to help people with this. Um, you really have to do cognitive behavioral therapy of skill progressions. That means just get them to the point where the skill is becoming somewhat of a challenge, but it's not creating a compensatory state. And then, um, you know, pull back a little bit and then start to progress it even harder and pull back and progress harder, pull back, you know, two steps forward, one step back and just keep going. Um, and then the, another way that you can help improve skill acquisition is the proper uh, speed of skill progression. Uh, a lot of people especially uh, jump way too quickly in front of really challenging skills and they want to do it at a fast intensive rate or just more intensive rates overall, not just intensity and load but intensity and skill um, and they miss the, miss the boat on consolidating that skill effectively. Uh, three, psychology uh, as a limitation. Um, this is really overthinking and anxiety that decreases arousal. Um, and that could be a limitation for people in metabolic scenarios. Um, some, some examples as one could be, let's say there's six metabolic events over a weekend and athletes are great with five out of six, but there's that one out of six event that becomes an issue and issue being in parentheses or error quotations. Um, and that's largely, uh, based upon their perception and their psychological strategies around that kind of event is what leads to the limitation mainly. 
um, the fix for this is really cognitive behavioral therapy after, um, and I'm just using cognitive behavioral therapy in the concept of what I like cognitive behavioral therapy 101. Um, you never know, you may get some, some benefit from seeing a psychologist, clinical psychologist who practices this method, but uh, you basically just have to make the athlete aware that they have this overthinking or anxiety that decreases arousal um, where psychology becomes a limitation. And uh, once you made them aware of it, then you can, and they know that the anxiety is present, then training practice and competition practice will help people. Um, they have to actually get into those scenarios where um, those strategies and cognition and perception is strained, and that's the only way they're going to learn to get better with it. Uh, the fourth is recovery. Um, you know, I, I, I'm probably going to be spending a lot of time over the next 10 years plus, I would say, uh, digging into this one. There's just so much to be learned inside of recovery for mixed modal that it could give someone a, a lifetime career. Um, but what we're talking about here is that they can't reach homeostasis fast enough between hard metabolic events or hard metabolic pieces. Um, an example of someone does a lactic endurance set for 232, they rest 10 minutes and then their next set is 255. There could be numerous reasons, obviously, that they don't achieve the same number for the next set of the same workload. Um, but recovery could be one of those bigger limitations. Fixes for recovery, if it is a limitation, um, is incremental sets. Uh, these are so powerful and beneficial. If I haven't spoken about it before on this Big Dogs podcast, I'll do it in the future, but incremental sets are very powerful and highly effective. Um, you can implement various recovery strategies and see what works. You know, Between sets, someone can do you know, drink a 200 mils of Gatorade, uh, another person can walk around, another person can lie down, put their feet up, another person can spin on the bike, another person can do push-ups, you know, just play with some different strategies and see what helps in that recovery. Um, another fix is to basically give the athlete the okay to auto-regulate, right? So they sense that they're not going to be able to recover, then give them a little bit more rest time. Um, but that auto-regulation allows the athlete to, to, you know, figure out inside what they need in recovery, and it allows them just to refine that. Uh, number five is muscles. Uh, this is specific muscle area group is just not working really well when it's needed and when it's taxed um, or it's not working um, effective enough for the task that's proposed. Um, some examples of when this occurs is unpredictable fatigue. Like you could say in the shoulders that happen a lot within certain movements and then you know the person complains of that where their shoulders just don't work or certain muscles just don't work. Um, this could be at a physiological level, numerous things happening. Uh, motor units could be being um, just not being effectively um, activated. You could have an oxygen uh, issue at the muscle level um, where you have occlusions and you just don't get good blood flow. Um, it could be a number of other things, but uh, maybe not a number of other things, but other things, but that's simply the limitation. Now, the fix to this is uh, pre-testing blood flow to the area where if you know that these things occur in that specific muscle group for the task, that you're looking to do, then doing specific blood flow to those muscle areas. Just think about the shoulders, right? Maybe you do some side raises. Uh, this is the example I given on the Big Dogs uh, meeting that we had. But you know, you got a workout coming up that's uh, going to be shoulders specific, and uh, you know that that's where you get a lot of those problems of muscle fatigue. For what we're assuming here is a limitation, then do some side raises and double unders and crawls for a little circuit beforehand, right? Just get a lot of blood in there, low intense contractions and uh, do a test and see if it helps and then uh, you know if it's effective because you had that intervention, it's the only thing you're controlling. Um, another fix for it is just the uh, proper muscle endurance um, sets and people just don't spend enough time here within uh, pre-competition or tough phase scenarios prior to competitions and uh, you need to do that. So uh, as an example, 
let's take the example again <clears throat> in the competition setting for shoulders you know in the comp in the in the preparation phase leading up you do have to do workouts that are really shitty um, that are like burpees ring dips and shoulder to overhead with airdyne right so you know in terms of training and and physical um, structural balance you would never put those together but in a comp competitive pre-competitive phase we do what's called non-complementary activities and that means you want to do those muscle specific beat downs really because that's what's what's going to show up that's going to cause that issue um, now you don't want to turn it into injury and remember this is preempted by proper progression getting to that point but these this proper muscle endurance progression will help people um, in that non-complementary activity for muscles if it's a fatigue limitation. Uh, number six, cardiac output. Cardiac output is basically the amount of blood your heart can pump, right? So it has stroke volume and blood pressure effects that it should be obvious in mixed modal. If it's not, then, you know, um, I would ask you to do a couple of hard mixed modal workouts and then feel, you know, some of these examples of your, feels like your heart's coming out of your chest or you can get a blood pressure headache or exertion headache. Uh, some people have had the handstand push-up uh, blood vessel busts, you know, in their eyes. There's a number of different ways. Um, that doesn't mean it's only, um, you know, the amount of blood or these things that are happening at a cardiac output um, that causes that to happen. But these are the things that empirically and observationally uh, do come about and are, are um, uh, complaints that uh, people have that I'm assuming is uh, could be a limitation. Now, there's numerous ways that that can be helped. Um, but really what I have found within mixed modal is the proper progression of cyclical plus battery work together. That CP battery work plus cyclical activities when they're programmed effectively and progressed effectively. Um, aerobic alactic activities is what the physiological term would be for it. And a lot of that with good practice and sustainability and good power over time that's measured well that doesn't smash people's CNSs can really improve cardiac output specifically for our sport. Um, and then of course... The, the tougher one to fix, but it would get a lot of people in a better long-term career as opposed to the 90% of the folks that do participate now that didn't take the time to do these contractions. But proper contractions in the long-term athlete development certainly fixes this. So if people spent like a lot of time for a number of years doing isometric kinds of contractions and then controlled contractions and then moving it towards more concentric, eccentric controlled contractions and moving it more towards dynamic contractions, I think we'd have a, a longer career for people. Um, that's an that's an old issue that I have, but still I think it would help the cardiac output as a limitation. Number seven is the HPO axis, uh, hypothalamus pituitary organ axis. Um, what this really is is fight, flight, freeze challenges that that come up or happen in mixed modal uh, scenarios. Um, but an example of where people will talk about it is maybe where those um, scenarios happen too often and they just feel like now they can't go there. Um, and or their arousal average is really low for a long period of time. Um, I'm not going to put this into the camp of adrenal exhaustion, but it's it's just it's just getting towards that kind of um, symptoms and those kind of complaints. Um, and this could be an actual limitation, meaning if people just do have some issues with this area, it can cause some severe metabolic limitations. Um, and you could be guess, guessing and doing a whole bunch of other shit to try to prove capacity but you really just got to uh, fix them uh, through this, um, let's call it, uh, lower terrain. So what I have found that has helped fix that is a high-intensity, lower volume, um, so significantly lower volume. It almost seems embarrassingly low volume, but you got to keep the intensity high. Um, I've given, uh, without describing it in multiple different ways, I try to give them downers in the PM. 
Um, and that could be through supplements, you know, medicines that they already currently have, whatever. Uh, but I'll do whatever it takes basically to get a big drop in cortisol and a drop in, in energy and all the lifestyle factors that would lead to a really good recovery of sleep. And that, if it happens, done effectively and it's a point of uh, contention that you want to take care of, an intervention, I should say, for a couple of weeks, that can make a really effective turnaround. Um, <clears throat> also, last fix for this one is polarized training. Polarized training always fix this area where people are probably, for whatever reason, not adapting to the to total load that's coming on with medium training. And therefore, you need to provide a lactic power and MAP7 work only as their metabolic training. Um, and that's pretty much just, just think of it as really short, intense shit or, you know, longer aerobic scenarios. Um, none of that shit in the middle, no middle zone, hard aerobic stuff or no middle zone lactic endurance stuff. And that can help it. Number eight is fuel. Uh, basically is what it, what it says it, you got a low fuel tank, fuel tank for the repeated work. Um, some people can have, as an example, uh, foul breath from this. What I've seen observationally is that they just look, their muscles look less full. Um, if you don't know what I mean by that, I don't know any way to describe it. In the bodybuilding world, it was quite an easy, you know, uh, kind of thing to look at. And uh, if you ever look at yourself, I'm not asking people to get into that concept, but if you ever look at yourself over time in the mirror, you can tell if your muscles are full, uh, full of whatever it's needed. I just call it energy and it's ready to rock and roll. And some of these um, athletes that have a limitation of fuel, sometimes their muscles just look less full. Um, or they'll say things like when they have to do multiple harder um, aerobic repeats, they'll say that they just couldn't turn it on to the next level when asked. So they're still capable of performing the work, but when you ask them to go up a little notch in effort, they just were locked into this certain gear and they couldn't move above it. Um, a simple fix for that is really just do overfeeds with individuals and just check in the next session. So you're purposely doing an overfeed session of three hours of a high amount of calories, uh, more than they normally would have. Uh, none of those calories should get to the point where it inflames them or it Fs up their sleep or causes big, uh, big issues. But just overfeed and then check in the next session and see if they feel better from that. And then it might just be that that's the case. They just, uh, for whatever reason, they were low in the tank. Um, Another way you could help this is do easily digested pre-workout uh, carbohydrates. Um, for every person, you're going to have to tighter the total amount, and you're also going to have to play with what that feels like. So that may be a way of, of helping that. Um, or you can just do an increase in carbs for a few days and uh, just watch their sleep. Um, if you increase their carbs overall in the total daily intake, because um, you're more concerned about performance indices, um, there's no necessary weight changes, um, which generally can happen with inside a mixed mold, uh, just based upon a number of different factors. Um, and you just increase carbs for a couple of days and uh, you see their sleep improves. It's probably going to result in them having some better recovery um, if you're thinking that um, fuel was that uh, limitation. Lastly, thermoregulation. Uh, this is really where we increase, I mean, it's a sport that, I'm sure there's other sports that do it, but our sport, you know, increases uh, you know, core temperature at really high rates and sometimes in an outdoor setting where without cooling opportunities. Um, and so this is what the concept is of the limitation. We increase rates at a fast rate of these increases in temperature inside the athlete. Um, and some examples can be when there's unpredicted overheating that happens where people are, you know, dying to get next to the fan during their work that they have to do. 
um, or their clothes automatically just come off as they start doing work because they're just heating up at a high rate, or they just feel like they're, they just want to rip their skin off. They're so hot during the activity. And I know geographical locations can make this happen all the time, but I'm just saying that it can be a big time limitation for people. Everyone has their own way of dealing with thermoregulatory issues, and you just need to know that it's not just one thing like T3, T4, TSH, or other factors. It's it's a number of things that uh, can make people sensitive to issues around thermoregulation. Um, and a fix for this is fairly simple. You can just check the air temperature in the training setting. Um, of course, you wanna be looking at the humidity and elevation no matter where this person is all the time, but um, you wanna check the air temperature and they wanna have some controls around that because you know someone may be doing the same kind of linear progression of metabolic work every Tuesday afternoon and then on the third Tuesday, just shit goes wrong and you're like, what the hell, like that wasn't expected and uh, lo and behold, you know, the temperature, like it can be in Arizona this past week, uh, you can change like 15 to 20 degrees Fahrenheit within the gym setting. Um, and that's just based on us having the doors open or the doors closed or something. So that can make a significant input input on uh, metabolic output. Um, of course, being a Canadian, having practice of this, tanning and skin exposure prior, um, along with submaximal heat training, can certainly help people, especially when they got to get into maximal efforts. Remember, this is submaximal uh, training in the heat, right? Um, that's really important, and that allows you to get at least some behavioral training around what you need to do to fuel yourself and prepare for all the strategies around that future heat. Um, but also tanning and the correct kind of skin exposure for people who do have some thermoregulatory issues, um, it can certainly help that. So as a review, those were the, uh, the nine uh, limitations. Um, as you can imagine, I could go into multiple different scenarios around them. Just remember the assumptions that we were making based upon the model. Um, and the whole goal of doing this after explaining uh, uh, respiration, skill acquisition, psychology, recover, uh, muscles, cardiac output, HPO axis, fuel, and thermoregulation was to ensure uh, that there was an, you know, more insight into best training practices. And I hope uh, people can now maybe look at why people get, are getting tired of mixed modal and see it from a different lens. And then hopefully it'll allow you to upgrade your continued effort to improve your concepts and belief in what fatigue is. And if I've offered that, that's great. Uh, thanks for being here.